Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. So glad that you're tuning in with us. Church is going to get started here just in a few minutes. I'm down in the church office. I always get here early to, to pray. I, I do go over my notes. I print the bulletins out. You know, I have several duties to do, but coming early to pray is the most important part. There's so much going on in our lives and in our families that, and, and in the world, in our country, we need to pray more and more every day. This is what lets God know that we're concerned, that we're aware, that we're doing our part. That's to pray and ask for God's protection over this country, over our families, um, over our church, uh, just over everything that we do. It's so vital. That's why we're doing this study through the Gospel of John. It's entitled, In the Beginning, because we need to get the church back to the basics. We need to know and understand who Jesus Christ really is, and we need to start living our lives according to what we know, according to what we know. I hope you enjoy, I hope you've been enjoying this series, and I hope you enjoy today's message. We're in chapter 4. Uh, I'm very excited. I can't wait to get started. God bless you. Uh, come out and see us. Um, we're just getting started to get our kids' programs uh, back up and running. Um, not this Sunday, but, but very soon, possibly my next Sunday, we will see. Um, this COVID thing has hit everybody really hard, and we're trying to get uh, the church back to a place of normalcy. Of course, we still have to follow all the CDC rules uh, to keep sanitizing and keep our kids safe. So hang in there. We're all going to be together soon. God bless you. I hope you enjoy this message. And today we're in John chapter 4. This is an incredible chapter. This chapter has been used throughout time as a class on witnessing. And that's what we're going to have today. A class on witnessing. Because guess what, guys? we got to get better at it. We do. We have to get better at witnessing. But as your pastor, I have to set some ground rules. Jesus, when speaking to the Samaritan women at the well, he began to tell her things about her life that there was no way that he could know. And we can speak prophetically into somebody's life, but let me say this. Be incredibly careful. You got to understand here, Jesus is God. He knew what he was saying to be the truth. And any time that we're speaking prophetically, let me just say this out right up front. If it's not uplifting, if it's not good, if it's not helpful, it's not God. Because he speaks things into utterance that lifts people. Not pushes them down. I perceive that you're an alcoholic because your face is red. You know what? Shut up, buddy. I perceive you're an idiot. You know, we have no right to judge or think that God is speaking something to speak. Now, when we know one another, I can speak prophetically into Tony's life, but guaranteed when I do and I have, it's always uplifting. It's always encouraging. It's always something that he needs that he can grab onto. 
When Christy speaks into my life, it's always encouraging. It's always positive. It's always, if it's not, then let's say, let's get together and pray about this because I'm feeling this way. It's so important that we understand this prophetic power that we do have. But we have to be very careful with how we use it. Amen? Amen. I believe he was looking more for her response as well as being able to show her who he is. And she did well, praise God. A revival happened. When the Holy Spirit gives you a prophetic word, it's best that you know who that someone is. And we'll talk about this more. So let's get into our pop quiz to see whether you guys have been studying. Number one. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judah, and there he remained with them and, there you go, baptize. Okay, then it brings us to number two, kind of on the same, on the same. According to John 4, did Jesus himself baptize people? No, he did not. Does anybody care to share why? Yeah, there you go. I like that. He had his disciples there. Let them do it. He wanted to make sure that it didn't get started while I was baptized by Jesus. You were only baptized by John. That's the only reason. He was protecting us. So let's get started with chapter 4. You guys did good. Give you 100% on your questions this week. Therefore, this is chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, this was a problem. Though Jesus, verse 2, himself did not baptize, but his disciples. John 3, he left Judah and departed to Galilee. Observe, please observe. The Lord here shunned the conflict with the Pharisees. Why? Because it wasn't time. It wasn't time for him to... They were upset. I mean, we're talking some pretty big crowds that John the Baptist was, was drawing, and now Jesus is drawing way bigger crowds, and they're going, the Pharisees, even the Sadducees, and all of us are going, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? They're starting a whole new religion. They, they, it, it was getting serious fast. The Lord shunned. We know that they were jealous of him and, and, <clears throat> and went away from Judah for a more uh, remote district into Galilee. May, may Jesus help us to always make, to always take that which is the wiser course in every situation, in every emergency. What I'm trying to say is he was not guilty of cowardice. The smarter deal was to walk away, was to move on to where there, there wasn't this controversy. And so often we want to sit there and we want to fight about the, the, the rights that are being taken or whatever it is. But we have to really ask, is what we're doing kingdom beneficial? To have this fight and have this argument, is it, is it going to inspire the kingdom of God? No, probably not. Then walk away. Walk away. You don't have to fight every fight. There will be a time. 
Jesus was not guilty of cowardice. He could not be. For he was the bravest of the brave. And sometimes it will be he was the most courageous. And it could be the most courageous part of a conflict for us when we believe it's right to do so. Never mind what others may be saying, but do as our master did. Take a different direction. Walk away. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Amen. Let me say it in a simple way. It's okay to avoid conflict. Nobody wants to hang out with an angry, stubborn, judgmental Christian unless they are also angry, stubborn, and judgmental, and I would call them a Pharisee. Nobody wants to hang out with somebody that's always angry and always judgmental and always trying to tell us that they have to do it the way we do it. We have to worship the way we worship. We have to, no. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Pick your battles. Let's move on to John 4, 4. This is a very interesting scripture, very short. But he needed to go through Samaria. Notice it said he needed. Hmm. It's true that it was the nearest way, yet he might have gone around any conflict with the Samaritans. I mean, he avoided conflict with the Pharisees. Why would he go into Samaria where there would be more conflict? But he knew there was something there. He knew that he had to go. There were souls in Samaria where he was to be, with that word, to be, bad, be blessed by his presence. He had an inward impulse so that he needed to go th- through Samaria. Let's talk about the Samaritans just for a minute. The Samaritans were a people who lived in what had been the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria was named of that kingdom, as that kingdom's capital. It was located between Galilee and north of Judah. I don't know if you've seen that area when you went there, Tony, but it's very interesting. The Samaritans were a racially mixed society. Oh, my goodness. They had racism even back then. They were a racially mixed society of Jews and pagan ancestry. Although they worshiped Yahweh, as did the Jews... Their religion was not mainstream Judaism. Oh, well, that's a big problem. Maybe our religion isn't mainstream Baptist. You get a little loud there, Pastor. Are you sure you're following toting the line there with the Baptist? Come on, man. We're talking about God's word here. They had racism and prejudice even then existed 2,000 years ago. In the ancient world, relations between the Jews and the Samaritans were indeed strained. Josephus reports a number of unpleasant events. Samaritans would harass the Jewish pilgrims traveling through Samaria between Galilee and Judah. The Samaritans actually scattered human bones in the Jerusalem sanctuary. Can you? (laughs) That's bad. And the Jews, in turn, burnt down Samaritan villages. Needless to say, their relations were strained. But Jesus didn't have a problem with this. Let's look at John 4, 5 and 6. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was noon. 
their day starts at 6 a.m. In the six hours, it would be 12 noon. So he was hot, he was tired, and he took a rest. Verse 7 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, Give me a drink. Verse 8 will give you a clue here. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. You know they had to been gone. He, he wouldn't have been able to talk to this woman. They would have crowded around him and said, no, 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 you're not going to talk to no Samaritan woman. He knew how they felt and thought. It didn't matter if they were fishermen. They were still Jews. And we don't like Samaritans. So Jesus, I'm sure, if we can just get ourselves back in, in this scenario, he said, guys, go into town and buy some, you know, go to Subway Get us some sandwiches, have them chop them up in three-inch pieces so we can all have some. Go down and do that. Well, two of us could go. No, all of you go. Bring some sodas and bring some chips and just go and get lunch. Just go. Let me sit here and rest. Jesus had a plan. The Holy Spirit was working through him. John 9 says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, Why is it, being a Jew, ask a drink of a Samaritan woman? Now, you got to read this and, and hear the sarcasm in it. She wasn't happy about this. She wasn't being nice. You know, we read it and we don't think much about it. But, but think about it. She was saying, hey, who do you think you are asking me to give you a drink? Not only are you a Jew, I'm a, I'm a woman. You don't talk to women. That's, that's against your rules and ours. What are you doing? But Jesus, he was such a crafty guy. Jesus answered in verse 10 and said, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can you imagine the head spinning right there? She's going, what? What? Listen to John 11. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? She's thinking in the physical realm, as she should. She's thinking the water in the well. We know water's alive. All water's got organisms living and breathing in it. it it's part of nature. But that's what she was thinking. Jesus was talking in the spiritual realm, and he knew that she wouldn't understand. He knew that she wouldn't. So she sa he says, where do you get this, this living water? Her tone was harsh. She was thinking, why is this Jewish man even talking to me? It brings me to point number one. God is always seeking us out. You have to understand. Whoever that you're ministering to, God has placed you in that moment, and it's God who's seeking that person. You think you're doing so good because you found somebody you can talk about Christ to. No, God set it up. God is always seeking us out. Pay attention how Jesus seeks out this Samaritan woman. And when he is speaking in the spiritual realm, but not to where it scares her away, but to where it causes her to ask more questions. And the gift of God that the Lord Jesus spoke of to this woman at the well is the free gift of salvation. We know that, but she didn't know that. 
which is openly available to everyone. And that's what Jesus eventually is getting around to. When you're out there, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into conversations. Don't leave him out of it. As you're driving, you're heading to Walmart. Say, Father, lead me into conversations. There's somebody out there. I'm heading this way and I don't even know why. I don't like that store. I don't want to go there, but I'm going there anyway. So put somebody in my path. Pray for conversations. Pray that, that he will help you to see with your spiritual eyes to set the people that he wants before you. I often share to people that I've just met and people that I, I you know, have been in conversation with, and I'll say something like, yeah, I, I used to drink a lot and take care of a lot of bad things, but my spiritual dad helped me to see my life was going in the wrong direction. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll look at me and go, spiritual dad, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I said, well, honestly, he was my best friend. And he led me back to this place where I could get my life turned around. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, you can say, are you born again? But it's going to throw this wall up. But when I said something, when I say something like, hey, my spiritual dad helped me turn my life around. I used to be in worse trouble than you're in right now. And he helped me turn around. Well, what's a spiritual dad? So it gave me an opportunity to explain what that is. And then it gave me an opportunity to explain that all he did is live his life out before me. He didn't judge me. He didn't tell me that I was wrong. He didn't tell me that I was just, and I was stupid. But he didn't tell me that. He just loved me. And he began to move me and change. They will say, well, how did he do that? Well, he became my friend, and he ministered to me by living his life out in front of me. He became a living example to me of what Jesus looked like because he didn't judge me. And Jesus said in his word that he didn't come to judge us. We just saw that last week. He doesn't come to judge us. He comes to love us. And because he treated me that way, I was able to see that my life was a mess. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. For he is a gracious God who searches out before we ever considered searching for him. I wasn't looking for God. God was pursuing me. And he was using people to pursue me. Every one of you have a, a testimony. You weren't looking for God. Who here was looking for God? You know? Were you going to raise your hand, Christy? No. Okay. <laughs> I was going to pick on you. We, we weren't looking for God. God sent someone, put someone to our life, took us to a meeting. We heard something somewhere that started changing that, that thought pattern that we have, that we begin. And, and we need to learn how to be good witnesses without scaring people away, without being judgmental. Listen to these statements. Yet in Christ are the words of eternal life. In Christ is all that we need for life and godliness. In Christ we become a new creation and a part of his body with a new life and a new hope of glory. In Christ we have peace with God and access to the peace of God in our hearts. We should be seeking him out. Believe me, we should be. But he is always the one who is seeking us out.
approaches us and convicts our hearts that we need him. That's God. Whether whoever he's using, that's God. Seeking us out. You can say to someone, I mean, literally say, the kingdom of God has come nigh you today. Because the kingdom of God is within you. And it's come right next to you and talked to you today. Witnessing doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be judgmental. Look at John 4, 12. Her tone is still harsh. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, he says, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. Again, right over her head, but he's keeping the conversation open. John 4, 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And we're going to see this at the end of the story, that it actually happens. You're going to see it. Verse 14, uh, 15, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She's still seeing it in physical realm. Of course she is. If you can pay attention, you can see the sarcasm by her response. She's thinking, yeah, right, buddy. I'll never have to carry water again. That's the most ridiculous thing I think anybody's ever said to me. And that's not what he said to her at all. But it was keeping the conversation alive. He was getting her to think and wanting to ask more. She is stuck in the physical realm. And the same as we all would have been. She does not know who he is. And she's thinking, yeah, right. But Jesus is about to turn the conversation around. And you can do this too. Look at John 4, 16 and 17. It says, Jesus said to him, said to her, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are, you have well said, I have no husband. Brings me to point number two. Listen to people. They want to be heard. You think, well, I can't just go up and say that to somebody. No, I don't, wouldn't expect you to. I would knock you upside the head if you did. But here's a conversation that you can't have. You're ministering to somebody, a man or a woman. I don't care. I'm not talking about whether, what, whether it's guy on guy or woman on woman. You're talking to somebody, man or woman. And you could say something like, would you like to go to lunch? I'll buy you lunch. And they'd say, well, okay. Well, why don't you call your wife and ask her to come too? This is a way to open a door. He may say, I don't, I don't have a wife. I'm, I've been divorced. Oh, really? I'm sorry. I've been through that myself. I know how terribly hard. How long's it been? And then they'll begin to talk. You begin to open doors into their world just because you made conversation. You said, hey, can I take you out to lunch? Call your wife and ask her to come too. Call your husband and ask him to come down too. Well, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife or, or whatever. My husband passed away and I'm, I'm struggling. You know what? 
they, you could say, do you like the snow, all the snow we're having? They could say, no, I hate it, man. I'm out of propane. Our house is cold. Guess what? You can be a miracle. I'm not saying go fill their propane tank, but you know what? You can be helpful. You can tell them, hey, let me take you down to Catholic Charities. I've, I've understood they've got cash and they can pay propane bills for people who are out. Let me go to my house and get you some blankets and help you guys to stay warm. Hey, I got a kerosene heater that I'm not using. Let's go get five gallons of kerosene. Let's get heat in your house. Be a miracle. And it was all just from conversation. You like the snow we're having? And look where it took you. God had an appointed time, an appointed place for that, their need to be met. And you're the one who's called to meet the need. Well, I don't have the money to do that. Call your pastor. I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. We'll start calling people around and say, hey, we got some people that have no heat. We can do this. This is how you minister to people. This is how we do it. But so we think we got to go out there with a big billboard saying Jesus saves. And if you don't accept him, you're going to hell. That's not going to save anybody. They need to see us living it. They need to see us. We need to look like Jesus. Because of the love and the concern of what they're going through. People want to be heard. When you're in a conversation a ministry conversation, you can ask those simple questions. You can ask those things that I just talked about. Your own experiences through troubled times are all testimonies that change lives. All those lumps of coals, those troubles, are now shining diamonds that God can use through you. Okay, who doesn't have any lumps of coals? I'll give you some of mine. You know, and they're shiny diamonds now. But first, be willing to listen. Too often we talk too much. Stop talking and let God listen and let God open that door and to give an opportunity. People want to tell you what they need. And I'm telling you, this is fertile ground. It's fertile ground. Jesus goes on in verse 18. And 19, he says, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, he was, because God himself knows what we need. Now, if God gives you an inkling to tell someone that they've had five wives or five husbands, be careful. Open some simple conversation. Call your husband. Let's go all go to lunch together. You know what I mean? Be very careful. If God is giving you something for someone, if it's not lifting them up, it's, if it's not encouraging them, if it's not helping them, it's not God. Maybe he's given you something to pray about that you need to keep and pray. And say, God, open the doors so I can see the full situation before I go and say something that hurts somebody's feelings. You got to be careful when you're speaking prophetically. So now she perceives that he is a prophet. Well, we know that he is God. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. 
And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. What do you say about that, Mr. Jesus? I mean, she's, she's realizing that he's speaking to her now prophetically, and, and she's still fighting. Can you see the fight in, in what she's saying? Wait a minute. The Jews say we have to worship down there. What do you say about this? And Jesus, he got her talking. Look at verse 21. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what worship we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Sounds harsh, huh? Kind of back from Jesus. But no, he's speaking to her with love. Who did Jesus come to save? The, the Jews. Initially, it was for the Jews. And she's a Jewish descent. She may be mixed race, but she's Jewish descent. He's telling her, I'm here for you. But look at verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. What he was saying to her is the Father seeking for you to worship him in spirit and truth. Then he says in verse 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's still struggling. And it's okay. Jesus isn't getting mad. It's okay. He just kept answering her. And Jesus said to her, think of what he said. Verse 26, I who speak to you Am he? That just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I don't have any hair. What is that? Goosebumps. That is just incredible. I am he. I am the living God that has come to this earth to show you that you can be saved. This is the first time that he openly professed it. We see our calling. And it is to seize on all occasions to lead sinners to belief. That's our job. That Jesus is the Christ. And to make use of all the topics of conversation to teach them the nature of God and the nature of his son. And it doesn't have to be a difficult thing. It's all in conversation, all in our everyday life. We need, to, we need to remember that, you know, is this, is this a God-appointed conversation? I like to think that they all are. God, what can I say? What's a key word? What do they need? But they're not willing to tell me what they need. Just listen to them for a while. They will tell you. Just listen. Be open. Be willing to listen. Look at verse 27. It says, at this point... At this point, his disciples came. <laughs> they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? I, I got to hand it to him. This band of knuckleheads knew 
to keep their mouths shut at this point. Now, I don't know how they knew. Maybe the Holy Spirit just grabbed their mouths and wired them shut. But they didn't say anything. They were just looking at Jesus going, what are you doing? What are you doing? John 28 and 29, it says, And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the man, First of all, think about leaving her water pot. That's huge. That was her water for the day. Maybe she knew she was coming back to get it later. I, I don't know, but this is huge. She knows that she's been speaking to the living God, the Christ, the Messiah that is supposed to be coming. She knew now. She was talking to him. So she left her water pot. And she was on her way to the city to say to the man, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, come on. Did, did, did Jesus tell her all things that she ever did? No. But he sure did open her eyes. He sure did impress her of what he knew that nobody could possibly, not being a part of that. Now, maybe someone from the town could have said these things to her because they've watched her with four or five different husbands and the guy she's living with now isn't her husband at all. But Jesus, he knew these things and he wasn't from there. So she goes in and she tells everybody, could this be the Christ? Look at 30, uh, verse 30, he says, Then they went out from the city and they came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. That's where they went. I mean, face it, they had food. Okay, they went to buy food. They wanted Jesus to eat. And I get it. He'd been, up, he'd been walking since 6 a.m., it's now past noon, well past noon, probably one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And they're thinking that he's hungry. They're concerned for his strength to complete the journey. But Jesus had been working in the spirit. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. These guys couldn't figure out what he was saying. All they could think about is who gave him something to eat. It must have been that woman. She must have had an extra Big Mac in her purse. I mean, she had to have something. And Jesus was saying, man, it's not about food. I'm not even hungry because I've been in the will of the Father. I've been ministering to these guys, this lady. I'm going to drop down to 435. It says, do you not say... He's talking to his disciples now. There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with harvest. And this is what I think. I think he said, look up and look at these people that are coming. They, they're coming. There's a bunch of them coming down the road, coming right for the well. He said, there's your harvest I'm telling you, it's already ripe. It's all ready to go. John 36 and 37, it says, And he also, and he who reaps, receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this, for, for in this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. How many times 
you know, Jim and Rod, they've spent a lot of times in the prison and jail ministries. And, and, and I have too. We often don't see the salvation, the, the reaping of the seed that we planted. In fact, is more than not, we don't. It's not about it. We're planting seed. They're going to walk into a church. They're going to fall on their face. They're going to give their life to Jesus. And you know what? As a pastor, I won't be jumping up and down thinking I did that. Somebody else planted the seed in you. It's been growing. It's been turning in there for a long time. And you finally have given in. And I know that seed is in my son. I hope you're listening to this, boy. It's in him. It's in him. It's not dead. He's got it pushed down and hidden down, but there's going to be a time that he'll fall on his face before God because the seed is in him. And it's not going to be void. But we need to understand, we're out there witnessing. Uh, Christy, when you talk to somebody, you know, you're, you're planting that seed. You might not see the harvest, but the harvest will come. And that's what we do when we're talking on the phone, when we're talking with people. We're thinking, well, that didn't go very well. No, I think it probably did. A lot more than you realize. Look at verse uh, 38. It says, I send you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Oh, praise God. When someone finally comes in and gives their heart, I guarantee you there's been somebody down there in a jail ministry that ministered the gospel to them, and they went, yeah, right, but it still went in. And you took the time to listen to them, to listen to what they have to say. It's so important that if we're going to go out and minister to people, the first thing you've got to learn is how to open your ears and listen. I think it was more profound in the jail ministry. Remember all those times, Jim, that I would be sitting outside taking one guy at a time. They would come out and they'd, they'd looking at me like I'm going to say something. Tell me your story. And they'd spend the next 30, 40 minutes telling me their story. Sometimes I wanted to cry. Sometimes I would shake my head thinking, Really? But you know what? They need to tell their story. And sometimes they'll hit something that I've exactly experienced and I know exactly what they're talking about. And then I can move in and I can start speaking to those areas in their life that they need healing. They need a touch from God because they're thinking there's no way that I can understand. See, they're seeing me as Pastor George coming to the prison. They're thinking I'm like some kind of holy guy in white robes with the wind blowing in my hair. You know, come on. I'm just like you. And somebody helped to turn my life around. Let me be part of helping you turn your life around towards God. And they'd say, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do understand. And I know the turmoil that you're in. And I know what you got to stop doing. I can give you the answers, but you got to be willing to listen and understand who God is. And that he's not playing. He's serious. But how could I ever speak that way into their life if I didn't listen to them and hear them out? And that's exactly what Jesus did here. Look at uh, 39, 39 and 40. It says, 
And many of the Samaritans of that city believed him because of the woman who testified. You see that? Because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all I ever did. Verse 40, so the Samaritans had come to him and urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days in a Samaritan city. Thank you, Jesus. He stayed right there with them. A revival was happening. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Verse 42, and they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is Christ, the Savior of the world. That didn't happen in his own hometown, did it? This had to happen in Samaria, where they were in battle with all the time. In fact, when you read, finish reading, I'm, I'm almost done with the, as far as I'm going to go in chapter 4, but it's your job to read the rest of the chapter. It's going to be the first time that Jesus says, a prophet is without honor. Watch this, guys. We go into my hometown. You've seen what happened in Samaria. Wait till we get over here to, to Galilee and watch. All people want is signs and wonders, and they want to see a show. They want to be excited. Come on, come on, like a magic trick. Do something for us, Jesus. Verse 43 says, Now after these days he departed from there and went to Galilee. And that's your homework to read the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5. Jesus talks about this for the very first time, that a prophet is without honor. But Jesus does, does heal the nobleman's son. You guys remember that one? He doesn't go down to his house. The nobleman said, hey, he's got to be healed. My son has to be healed. You'll read this at the end of chapter 4. And Jesus said, then, then let him be healed. His son. And the guy went home, had to travel back home, and the son was well, and he started questioning the service. What time did his fever break? What time? And they gave him the time, and it happened to be the same time that Jesus spoke. Let him be well. See, we have to understand. Tony, could you come back? We have to understand that as witnesses for Christ, it isn't about sitting here on Sunday. My job is to equip you and to get you ready and just allow it to be conversations. Listen to what somebody needs. Listen to what they have to say. And then pray, God, how do I help? How can I be the miracle? What do I need to tell them? 